0: It is good to see you. If you are visiting Northview for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. My name is Ezra. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'd like to extend a warm welcome to those who are in our Fleetwood campus in Surrey. Welcome. Uh, And those who are also watching online and also at the atrium here, a very warm welcome to you. You will need a Bible. And I'll invite you to open to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter three, we'll be looking at verse eight to 12, verses eight to 12, as we continue in our series in 1 Peter. Now there's a story that is told of uh, this soldier, a soldier who was uh, living in a military barracks with other soldiers, and so they were there for training and things like that, so they are staying or sleeping in a huge tent, and so they are bunks um, in this uh, huge tent and so each soldier has their little spot where they can put their bag and their clothes and their personal effects and where they can sleep. Just a small little tiny cot where they would uh, sleep. So this uh, soldier is a Christian, a Christian gentleman. And so after a very hard day of training and so they'll come back, muddy boots, Uh, dirty clothes, they would come in, he would clean up, and then he would take his Bible, and he would do his devotions, just reading the scriptures, and then he would say his prayers before he calls it a day and goes to sleep for an early morning the next day. Well, the soldier who was uh, in 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 the court just across the aisle from him wasn't a Christian. If anything, he was very hostile, toward this Christian soldier and he would call him names and ridicule him and mock him for his faith. Bible thumper, you know all those names. And so as the names kept coming, this Christian soldier was just quiet and so one night, just before he, he had finished reading his Bible, before he now fell asleep, muddy boots came from, from the other aisle, from, the, from, from across the aisle right to his bed, hit him in his head. Muddy boots from this hostile colleague of his. So let me ask you, if that was you, how would you respond? How do you respond? You're being ridiculed, you're being called names constantly by a colleague. And then as you're you're just minding your own business, you're reading your Bible, some of the other soldiers are telling this guy, hey, just leave this buddy alone, leave this guy alone. But he's just riding him constantly. Muddy boots come across and they hit you just before you fall asleep. What would you do? How would you respond? You see, If we were to ask people in our community, in our society today, how would you respond to such treatment? People would say something like, you know what? You shouldn't let other people walk all over you. You should stand up for your rights. You shouldn't tolerate that kind of behavior. You shouldn't let other people ridicule you. If anything, stand up for yourself. Look at the person in the eye. Call him out on his nonsense here. What does Peter say? The Apostle Peter would say, same book, 1 Peter, but just a chapter previous to our chapter tonight, today. 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, this is what Peter will say. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The passions he's talking about here, the passions of the flesh are the passions where you now want to retaliate. You want vengeance. You want to stand up for yourself. You want to call this person out, if not fight him. And Peter is saying, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And Gentiles here is those who don't know Christ keep your conduct among non-Christians honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The day of visitation is when Christ comes back again. They'll be glorifying God, meaning they'll already have come to know Jesus. And so Peter will say this, this is now what our response ought to be, where we abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against us. So he, he will say this ought to be a response, and then he'll unpack what he means. And over the last few weeks, we've seen how Peter will say, You know, you submit to the authorities. Pastor Mark preached about this a few weeks ago. Submit to your bosses, regardless of whether they are nice, friendly, kind, charitable. Yes, you want to submit to a good boss. You want to submit to a good leader of your nation. But Peter is saying regardless of whether that leader is good, regardless of whether that boss is is, is nice to you, you ought to submit to them. And then to wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, honor your wife, regardless of whether your spouse deserves such treatment, regardless of whether they deserve such treatment. Now you may say, man, that is so hard. It is hard to submit to a leader who is mean and nasty. It's hard to to submit to a boss who treats you poorly and doesn't even acknowledge your hard work. It is hard for wives to submit to husbands who don't care for them. It's hard for husbands to honor wives who might be manipulative toward them. It's all hard, and Peter will say the motivation behind what he's telling us will be found in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse nine. He will say, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. This is who you are. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, A holy nation, a people for his own possession. So you're different. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the motivation here is proclaiming the excellencies of God. Proclaiming the excellencies of Christ who called you and I out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the motivation for submission, uh, motivation for honoring is gospel witness. And now in today's text, in today's text, Peter and I will put a bow on this section by summarizing what our posture ought to be when we live in an environment that is hostile toward Christ. How then, what's our posture as Christians as we live in a hostile environment, an environment that will not accept what you believe, though not embrace the Jesus you and I embrace. So he will give us three three ways in which we ought to position ourselves, or should I say, our posture. So our posture toward each other, our posture toward the world, and our posture before God. Three ways, again, our posture towards each other, our posture toward the world, and our posture before God. And the motivation, again, behind our posture is gospel witness. It's gospel witness. We want, to live our lives in such a way that those in our community who don't know Jesus might wonder, hmm, why are these people so nice? Why is this person, this young woman, this young man, this um, elderly man or this elderly woman or this couple, why are they the way they are? And they come and tap you on the shoulder and you'll say, hey, let me tell you why. And that's an opportunity for you and I then to share the gospel. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. First Peter 3, 8 to 12. I'll read the text and then we'll unpack it together. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, all of you. So he's speaking now to the church. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There ends the reading of God's word. So, point number one, our posture toward each other. Our posture toward each other as Christians. So now he's wrapping this section of submission to the authorities, submission to to your bosses, submission, wives, to your husbands, and husbands honoring your wives, he's putting a bone out to say, this is our posture toward each other. Verse eight is where I want to zero in a little bit here. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Let me tell you a quick story. There was a couple who have now long since moved from this area and they've moved up to the interior. Well, while they were here, they were involved in a community group, a care group. And so they didn't have any family down here, but their care group was like their family, like their extended family. This husband and wife had kids, and this care group now was like the extended family, the uncles, the aunts, and so on. Well, it so happened that the wife of this particular couple, she had some issues with her feet, and so she needed to go to the doctor to have this issue rectified, and the doctor said they'd have to do surgery. So this surgery meant they had to break bones on her foot, both of them, and then set them um, correctly so that they would heal, and therefore the pain she was experiencing would be gone. But if she now said yes to the surgery, this means she would have to be on bed rest for eight months. Her husband is an electrician. She was the one now who was the homemaker. She would make the meals, she would send the kids to school, she would clean, she would take care of the home as the husband is out working long hours to make ends meet. But now the doctors are saying, in order for you to walk properly and for the pain to go away, we'd have to do this surgery. She says, fine. Now of course, she goes to a care group. They pray for her, pray for him, pray for their family. She goes in for the surgery and after the surgery, she's now on bed rest for eight months. So question, does the husband now pause his business and now take care of the home? But now who will bring the bacon home? So do you know what the care group did? What they decided to do is they now planned like during the week who's going to come in and take the kids to school, why? Because the husband had to leave very early in the morning, 4.35 in the morning to drive all the way to Vancouver and other job sites so that he could now lay cable and all, all these things because he was an electrician. So hubby had to go. But now who would take care of the kids? Who would make breakfast for them? Who would pack their lunches? Who would drop them, from, uh, drop them at school? Who would pick them from school? Who would now make dinner? Because the wife was bedridden and hubby would come home at seven, eight at the end of a long day. Just enough time to come and read the kids a story, pray with them and put them to bed only to repeat the same the next day. Well, this care group decided, you know what, we are gonna love on this family, and that's what we're gonna do. So they had a system where there were people coming in in the morning, they would make breakfast, pack lunches, take the kids to school, others would pick the kids from the school, others would drop over dinner, others would come during the day to check up on her and clean the house and do the laundry and fold and everything. So as she was healing, this group just kept loving this family. So she's healing, she's seated in the living room with her feet stretched out and one of her kids so excited come and jump on mommy. Guess what happened? Ouch. The feet broke again. Back to surgery. And now the doctors have to set them again. Eight months. Oh my. Guess what the community group did? They lined up again and they began to love on this family and bring meals and clean the house and take the kids to school. Others would pick them up for eight months. Almost a total of a year and a half is what people of God decided to do. What's the point? The point here is this. This is a remarkable witness for those around. You think about, you know, if you work in a secular job, secular office, you work in a bank, you work whatever you work, secular place, yeah, people will empathize with your situation, yeah. But the extent of sacrifice, even family members might get tired to care for you, and yet the people of God go this far, don't they? And that's why Peter here will say finally all of you your posture toward, toward one another. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So let's break it down a little bit. What does he mean by unity of mind? Basically he means oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on the major points of the faith. And this group came together, they all believe the gospel. Jesus is who he says he is. Now this unity of mind does not mean uniformity, where we all dress and look alike. Doesn't mean unanimity, which means we all all agree 100% at every turn. It doesn't mean that we are singing in unison. No, it's harmonious unity, where each one of us with our different gifts, our different abilities, we bring them all together and we have this wonderful mosaic of godly love and care and support for one another that is attractive and beautiful to the watching world. Not only that, this sympathy is this um, to feel with others. And so of course this group saw this family and they began to feel when they saw this husband who's an electrician and they see, oh my goodness, how will he care for his wife, care for his kids, but also pay the mortgage and bring bring bread on the table. How will he do this? And of course, This group came and stood beside, and this is basically what sympathy means, brotherly love, this affectionate love of a sibling. Christians, we ought to love one another deeply, even beyond two brothers or two sisters biologically, because we have this affinity with one another. It's interesting if you travel to other parts of the world, and you show up at a church, and you stand out like a sore thumb, and they know that you're a Christian, all of a sudden your brother, your sister, they invite you over to their house, they'll even give you a bed to sleep, they don't know who you are, they just met you on Sunday. This never happens if you go to a Starbucks. This never happens when you go to a concert. This never happens when you go to an AA group if you need to go to AA. You go to a church, you see this happen. There's this brotherly love, this tender-heartedness, this compassion toward one another. And then he also, Peter adds, a humble mind. And this is not just humility outward where you're seeing me, I'm humble. It's just not me being humble. No, this basically is an inward humility, recognizing that we are who we are because of the grace of God. So yes, you might have a successful business or you are a phenomenal entrepreneur or you're a great teacher, great doctor, great lawyer, whatever you are. And you may think, oh man, I am self-made. No, you're not self-made. It is God who had mercy on you and grace toward you. It's not like you're better than others, no. It's God's grace, God's grace over you, over me and that's why we are where we are so you have this inward humility to recognize I have what I have and I am who I am because of who Christ is and his love toward me. This is what our posture ought to be because after all, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, We are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous. This is who we are. This is who we are. Chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that's why This is our posture toward one another. But what about our posture toward the world? What about our posture toward the world? Verse nine. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now there's a show on Netflix called Captive. And it's a series of various stories, and the fourth episode, I believe, will tell a story of a couple, Martin and Gracia Burnham. And I've told this story before here, and I'll tell it again just briefly. And I'd encourage you, if you have Netflix, watch this story. It's a fascinating story. This couple, they were missionaries in the Philippines and had been missionaries for 17 years. And the husband was a pilot, so he'd be flying supplies and people and, and resources into various islands within the Philippines, places where the no roads to get there, so he had to fly into the mountains and get to, get to these particular places, and he bring Bibles to various missionaries and supplies and things so that the gospel can move forward. Well, this couple was celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary, and so they decided to go to a resort in a different island within the Philippines to celebrate their 18th anniversary. So they leave their kids with friends, and so they go to this island for their anniversary. Well, while they were there, all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door in the middle of the night. The husband knows, oh dear, we are in trouble, and the wife thought, oh, maybe the resort people are coming to maybe warn us for something. Like, it's the middle of the night, why are people knocking on our door? The door swung open, three men walked in with guns and it was members of Abu Sayyaf, which is a uh, Islamic militant group. And they abduct this couple and that began a year-long captivity in the hands of these militants. It's a fascinating story. Uh, the wife, Gracia, writes the story. She writes a book about this encounter. The title of the book is In the Presence of My Enemies. In the Presence of My Enemies. You can find it on Amazon, it's on Kindle as well. Phenomenal read. What a story. Anyway, this year, in February, there was a conference in the States called the Cross Conference. And so Gracia stands up and shares this story. Her husband, Her husband's life was taken when the Philippine um, authorities came and engaged this Islamic group in a gun battle. And as they exchanged bullets, she was shot on the the leg, but I think her husband was shot in the chest and he died. And she, she saw him die in the forest. So she's sharing her testimony. You can find it on YouTube, just Gracia Burnham Testimony. It's on YouTube. It's an interesting watch, about 20 minutes and she would tell this story about how she was in this jungle with this uh, militants who had taken them hostage, and she's now wondering, where is God? Where is God? We are here to do ministry. Why would God allow this to happen? And so this hatred began to well up in her. And she's asking her husband, where is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? Where are all these fruits of the Spirit? Because I cannot feel them in me. And then the husband said, you know what, honey, these are the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit, they come from the Spirit of God, therefore we ought to pray and ask the Lord to grant us these things because in and of ourselves we cannot manufacture them. And so they began to pray, this is a year long, she began to pray and then all of a sudden the hatred turned into love and they began conversing with their captors and sharing with them and listening to their stories and listening to their struggles as they move from place to place trying to evade the the authorities while the captors are asking for ransom. But then her husband was killed. She came back to the States and she teamed up with another missionary and guess what they did? The Abu Sayyaf um, militants who survived the gun battle were rounded up and now they're serving life sentences in the prison and Gracia who lost her husband is now involved in sending money and resources to these people in prison to help them buy soap to wash their clothes. And as she's loving them, she's sharing the gospel with them and she says in February, to her knowledge, five have come to know Jesus. And one of the five was one who was the most notorious, who had 20 counts of murder against him. And this man is now a brother. Just think about what Peter is saying here. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Question, if you were gracious, what would you do? Is this how you would respond? Is this how I would respond? I mean, the reality here is this, it is hard to walk this walk, it is hard to be a Christian, it is hard to forgive those who choose to take your freedoms away, those who choose to revile you, it's hard to love, but the scriptures say that's where you need the help of the Spirit of God, and that's why you and I, on a day-to-day basis, we ought to pray, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit that I may live my life in a manner worthy of this gospel that I profess, because it's only by the Spirit of God that you can love this way. The point of the story I just told of Gracia and her husband. The point is basically this. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless. So then the question then here is this. Why bless? What is the meaning of this word bless? You see, Peter is not exhorting us to just suck it up. When hardship comes, suck it up brother. He's not saying suck it up, he's not saying endure hardships silently. No, what he's saying here is this, you bless, now in the first century, the word bless meant to publicly speak well of another. So you publicly speak well of this person who is pouring evil and ridicule toward you. But it's not just that, it's not just this speaking well. In the Jewish Christian way, the, the, the The way this word bless was used meant to invoke God's favor on someone. To invoke God's favor on someone. So in other words, when faced with evil, rather than just sucking it up and being quiet, you pray that God would bless this one who's the perpetrator, This hostile one. You pray that God would bless them. You pray that God would move them. In other words, when faced with evil, ridicule, or persecution, true witnesses of this life-changing power of Christ are those who are able to maintain an inner attitude that allows them to pray sincerely for the well-being of their adversaries. We are praying sincerely for the well-being and the salvation of our adversaries. So why would this be our posture? Because, verse 9b, to this you were called. To this you and I were called, we were called by Christ to live this way. We are called to return blessing for evil and insult because we ourselves have inherited a blessing of life in Christ. That's why. We are called to return blessing for evil and insult because we ourselves have inherited the blessing of life in Christ. And therefore, we are, to, we are called to a course of ethical behavior that does not stoop to the level of those who don't know Christ. Those who don't know Christ, oh, they will tell you, don't suck it up, stand up for yourself. And Peter would say, uh-uh, that ain't the way. That ain't the way, dear Christian. So let me pause and ask you this, thing, this question. Who's reviling you right now? Who's speaking ill of you right now? Who's this person who's just rubbing you the wrong way? Backbiting you? Spreading a bad report about you? Who's this person? And what is your response now toward them? Dear brother, dear sister, remember, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's who we are. So. That's our posture toward each other, our posture toward the world. Finally, our posture before the Lord. Verse 10 to 12 For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, for the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, it's summertime, and we want to go out and hang out with our families, with our friends, want to go camping, go to the park, have a picnic, and things like that. So let me put a challenge out to you. Next time you're out in a public place where you see parents and their kids, I want you to watch moms and dads who have little kids. You will see something very interesting. Many kids are there in a park, and they are playing on the swings and everything. The parents are busy talking to their friends or new friends, and they, they are talking. Their kids are running. You will notice very quickly in this park, where the parent, even though they are talking to you, their eye is constantly on the child. Their eyes on the child, and the child will call, mom, mom!" And mom will look, and the child will feel so comforted that mom is looking at me. And so the child is just having a wonderful time, but when the mom is looking at the child, yes, the mom is pleased to see her little girl or little boy playing and having a wonderful time, but mom is also looking to see, are there any dangers? Are the laces untied? Is the child standing close to the edge? Is the shirt untucked? The parent When they're looking, they're not just looking to look, they're looking to observe. There is this protective look. And the parent is just using their eyes and they're busy talking. And not only that. So the parent is talking, maybe they have their back toward the child and kids are playing and then some are whining, some are crying and as other kids are crying, the parent is not turning and then all of a sudden in the midst of the chaos, There's also another cry added to the chaos. All of a sudden, the mom turns, knows, that's my kid. That's his cry, that's her cry. Parents know this. There are other kids crying, but when their kid cries, they know. And what's interesting is this, the parent will know, is that cry a whine? Is that a cry, oh, I just want attention? I'm hungry or I'm seriously injured. Parents know. So all of a sudden, there'll be a sudden cry, conversation ends, parent is gone to the child. Why? Because the the parent is attentive to the cry of this child. And that cry will tell the parent, I need you now. Or that's a wine, he'll be okay. He'll get over it. It's very interesting. So, what Peter here is saying basically is this. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, what does he mean there? This blessing that he was talking about in verse nine is basically the blessing here. The desire to love life and see good days, the blessing that God gives. Whoever desires to have this, this is the inheritance that God gives. This person then let him do a number of things. Number one, let this person keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Again, it's in the context of living in a hostile world where people are going to ridicule you and there's this temptation now. The temptation is to slander those who are coming at you. The the temptation is to gossip about those who are coming at you. If you don't have the power to stand up against them, then what are you gonna do? Cut them with your words. And spread a bad report about them. And Peter is saying keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Deceit how? You know sometimes we love to stretch the truth. When we are trying to defend ourselves, we are stretching the truth and Peter is saying, no, 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 keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from doing evil and do good. And what's the evil there? The evil obviously would mean the desire to revenge. This rage fantasy that we now play the tape in our heads Constantly, oh, if only I had power, I would do this, I would do that, I would totally vanquish them. And Peter is saying, turn away from doing evil. Not just outwardly, but inwardly, and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, is what he will say. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked a question. Told you a story about this soldier in this military barracks. He had his little bed on here, and then across the aisle was another soldier's bed, and this soldier across the aisle was a very hostile soldier toward this Christian brother. In the evening, the Christian brother would be reading the Bible, and this one would be hurling insults, ridicule, calling him all sorts of names. And then one night, as I mentioned, There was this pair of muddy combat boots came flying at the Christian and asked, what would you do? See, the next morning, I didn't finish the story, but I'll finish it for you. The next morning, this hostile soldier, when he got up, he found his boots clean and shining beside his bed. That act of love and selflessness from the Christian led multiple other soldiers in that tent to become Christian. Because this is not what normal people do. People in the world would throw those boots back. Normal people would figure out a way to harm the hostile one. And yet, and yet, this Christian brother Shows, I will clean the boots of my adversary and I'll place them neatly beside his bed so when he wakes up in the morning, they are ready for inspection. Dear Christian, is that you? Is that you? See, what motivated this brother to do this? Gospel witness. Witness gospel witness, we live our lives in the presence of a holy God and this God has his protective eye on us. This God has his attentive ear on us and he will not hesitate to discipline those who do evil. Therefore, you and I ought to keep our conduct, keep our conduct honorable among those who do not know Christ, why? We are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are people of his own possessions. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us today. Lord, I know we live in a hostile world. And it's so easy for these sinful desires that are waging war against our flesh, Lord, our desire for vengeance and to push back. And Lord, your word is reminding us today that that ought not to be our posture. So Lord, help us to love each other as brothers and sisters in the faith that our posture toward each other would be that of grace and tenderness and sympathy and grace. Lord, I pray that our posture toward the world would be winsome and patient, and that, Lord, we would seek peace and pursue it. That, Father, we would do good deeds for the sake of the gospel. And, Lord, I pray that our posture toward you, we would recognize we live before you, that your eye is constantly on us, that your ear is attentive to our prayers. And also to be reminded that you do discipline us whenever we go away. So Father, fill us with your spirit because I know living this way is not easy. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and help us to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. We commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.